1 Samuel 2, we'll, we'll end up there, but we'll start in Numbers 25. Boy, and you're going to ask, what is the connection? I'll make the connection in a minute. Numbers 25, so that's pretty early in your Bible, and then a little ways over to the right. 1 Samuel 2 will be in those two places, and uh, we'll have, uh, I'll try to connect the dots for you there. Now, in 1977, since 1977, Gallup has been asking people to rate the trustworthiness of various professions. Interestingly, clergy have usually ranked near the top in these polls. For example, in the 1980s, about two of every three Americans agreed that ministers have high or very high moral standards in the 80s. But in 2013, fewer than half of those polled responded that way. Uh, there's probably, uh, that has a little bit to do with uh, some of the uh, uh, um, desperate things and the horrible things that we've read uh, in the news in the Catholic Church, but I wouldn't go, go completely there. A sharp decline, though, in just uh, 20 or 30 years or so, a decline from which one uh, person says the profession has yet to fully recover. One analyst said that. Now, we're going to talk today about two different priests with the same name that lived about 350 years apart from one another. One of them is going to be commended and one of them is going to be desperately kind of condemned. I read uh, this morning, just because I've heard these names, I've never watched this show. Anybody ever heard of Phineas and Ferb? I don't know anything about him other than what I read this morning. Um, Phineas Flynn and his British stepbrother, Ferb Fletcher, uh, they're on summer vacation. That's kind of what the show's about. Every day, the boys embark on some grand new project, which annoys their controlling sister, Candace, who frequently tries to reveal their shenanigans to her and to Phineas's mother, Linda Flynn Fletcher, and uh, less frequently to Ferb's father, Lawrence Fletcher. The series follows a standard plot system, running gags occur every episode, and the uh, B-plot almost always features Phineas and Ferb's pet platypus. That's even hard to say. Perry the platypus. i got to watch this. Wor he works as a spy uh, named Agent P for the OWCA. Now, the OWCA is the organization without a cool acronym. And they work to defeat the latest scheme of Dr. Heinz Dufenschmitz, a mad scientist driven largely by a need to assert his evilness. Okay, uh, just sounds pretty, pretty cool to me. But that's Phineas and Ferb. Today, I'm going to talk to you about Phineas and the other Phineas. Okay, there are two of them. Uh, in fact, it may be that as I'm talking about them, I should call them Phineas. The Phineas. I don't know. Is two Lex is two Lexuses Alexi? I I don't know. I don't know how that goes. Okay. All right. So here we go. In Numbers twenty five, we're going to get kind of the background to a story of a certain man's zeal. His name is Phineas. Um, for the covenant. Uh, entered into on Mount Sinai. You remember in this series we've been talking about God's covenants with us, his promises to us, our response back to that. And we're looking at people in history. 
The Israelites are camped out, the final stopping place before crossing the Jordan, and right before Moses' death on Mount Nebo, and uh, they're just 10 miles or so east of Jericho, and this is right before that chapter, but tragedy strikes when a plague kills 24,000 Israelites, and it's all because of disobedience to God's covenant laws. They're, uh, they enter into an idolatrous worship of Baal, which is a fertility cult of the Canaanites, and it's right before they're entering the promised land. Um, so a lot of that worship was an attempt to um, influence the gods of the area for uh, things like favorable crops and, and uh, the birth of children and those kinds of things. The accompanying sacrifices and feasts were just debaucherous. You can read about that in Numbers 25, verse 2. And they were abomination to God. And they would be, uh, include what we would consider today forms of um, sexual immorality, uh, the worship of nature, idolatry, all those kinds of things. Now, this episode in Israel's history violates at least three of the Ten Commandments. They're working on the rest of them, okay? Um, uh, it, certainly the first, the second, and the seventh. No wonder God's wrath was poured out against them. And uh, it was withdrawn only when a priest intervened and got involved. This priest's name was Phineas. Okay? We're going to look at his story here in a bit, and then we're going to look at another Phineas in a bit. Uh, where we pick this up, Steve Blair, I'm going to ask you if you will to pick it up in verse 10 in just a minute, Numbers 25. Where we pick this up, if you're reading ahead, um, Phineas, as a priest, has just put to death two people for some blatant disobedience and for some really awful activity. And this action saved, really, many other lives, probably thousands of lives, even though I can't imagine being in the position as a priest that Phineas was in. Steve, will you pick it up at verse 10 and read down through 13? Okay, now, we've got to connect the dots here just a little bit. Who was this Phineas? It gives us his, uh, his background. Did you catch it? It's Aaron's grandson, the original high priest. It's his grandson. He's con well connected. That's a good thing in this case. Okay. Now, uh, verse 10 just gives us this little bit of a thumbnail here about Moses. Moses isn't mentioned really much in the rest of this story, but he's mentioned here. What does it say about Moses in verse 10? God spoke to him. Catch that? God spoke to him. Um, now, um, what, what I want us to do, uh, John, can I get you to go to Exodus 33? It's going to be back to the left a little bit. We're going to read verse 11, and then we'll read verse 19 down through 23. Because I want you to look a little bit at what God's Word says about Moses' relationship with God. I would love to emulate in my life, what is said about Moses in his life, in his relationship with God. He was close to God. God speaks to him here. What you can put in your blank here for verse 10 is Moses is able to speak directly with God. Directly with God. Now, the word that's used to translate God in this passage is one of those words that has all capital letters. Um, 
um, it, it gives us kind of, uh, it's that, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, it gives us kind of that proper name, Yahweh of, of God, that, that they don't use very often. It's his personal name, often un, unrepeated because they're afraid. It's just so, um, so hallowed by them, okay? And yet Moses is talking directly to him and God is talking directly back to Moses. It's clear that Moses had a unique relationship with God. Now let's read about that just for a minute. Let's see what the Bible says about Moses' kind of unique relationship with God. Uh, John thirty three eleven in Exodus. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his prayer. Then Moses Can we be confident that when Moses said, God told me this, God told him this? Why? Because of 33.11 in Exodus. What does it say? He spoke directly to God. How? I love the next phrase that John read. As a friend to a friend. That was unique in Moses' day. It should not be unique in our day. All the pieces are put in place for you and I to do the same thing. Are you, are you acknowledging that? Are you taking advantage of it? Now, John, if you would, same chapter, if you scoot down to verse 19, read down through 23. The New Testament in John 1, it tells us nobody's ever seen God at any time at all. Moses got as close as anybody. He got as close as anybody. And here's kind of the story of it, kind of the drama of it. God says, okay, I know you've asked. You, do, you, don't, you don't want to go there. But if you'll hide in the cleft of that rock, I'll pass by. What an interesting thing. What, what a wonderful thing that Moses daily regularly met with God, talked to him, and this is interesting. I know it's a little bit contradictory to what I've just said about Moses never saw God, but they spoke face to face. I'm not sure how that really worked. But the, the intimation is that this was a friendship. Here's my question. How close to God are you? Is he your friend? Do you speak to him as a friend? You know that you can? You know that the Lord Jesus, when he was here, said you can address him as father? He gave you permission to do that. In that prayer that we quote over and over and over again, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our father, this is your father. This is, you can call him your father. My son and I talk five or six times a week. When my dad was um, here working, and I was in Kentucky working. He had uh, some kind of a watch line he would call me on. This was before the days of cell phones. He would stand from about 5 o'clock in the morning to about 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, getting jobs ready to go and getting people out the door. And sometime during that, my phone would ring. We spoke almost every day. Are you speaking to your father? And will you do so? Are you relating to him as friend to friend? 
the Lord Jesus has given you permission to do that. If you're not doing that, you're missing out. I'm discipling a young man. He texted me just a few minutes ago and said, how was your time with God this morning? Isn't that interesting that a guy that I'm working with that's 30 years younger than me is saying, how was your time with God this morning? Mine was super. You can talk directly to God. The question is, are you? How close are you? Now, let's meet and see what Phineas does here. This first Phineas in verse 11. The truth is that he had handled something. What he dealt with was treasonous. And he acted with what the Bible calls zeal. Appropriate zeal. Now, um, um, that's kind of a recap of what, what happened uh, in, verse, in chapter 25, verse 6 through 9. Uh, he was Aaron's grandson. We said that. Um, he did something that to you and me, thinking about a preacher doing this, was both shocking, but it was also commended by God, which makes it even more kind of confusing to me. But he did so with a zeal for God. Let's talk a little bit about that. The words zealous and the words jealous are often the same word in the Old Testament. I find that really intriguing. Um, there, it's, this is seen where a word in the original language is translated jealous or jealousy in one passage, but zealous or zeal in another. For, for example, a Hebrew noun tra translated jealousy in Ezekiel 8 and Zechariah 8 is rendered zeal in Isaiah 9, 7, where, where, the, uh, where the Bible says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Same word. It happens also in the New Testament. A Greek noun translated jealousy in 2 Corinthians 11 is the same one translated zeal in Philippians 3.6. So the idea here is a common idea of fervency. Of, of um, this idea of zeal here. It's a passion. And in this sense, it's a passion for God. It's a passion for God that led him to do this. And whether you understand what or not, what happened or not, and I, my understanding is, especially when we get into the next story, there were some things going on that you and I have no inkling of how wicked and how evil the day was. So this man, Phineas, was commended for dealing with it. Saved lots and lots, maybe thousands of lives because of dealing with it. Because he was fervent, he was passionate for God and for God's holiness. That part I don't have a problem with, do you? Now look at verse 12. The peace of God is promised here, and it's promised in context. This is, let me read it from the New American Standard. Therefore say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. That's a kind of a rare uh, combination of words in the Old Testament. We've been talking a lot about covenants, but they're covenants of kind of all of the same kind, but they're talked differently about one another. Would somebody go to Isaiah 54.10? Isaiah 54.10, that's to the right quite a ways. Isaiah 54.10. Ellie, would you find it on your, on your robo-Bible? Okay, Isaiah 54, 10. I, want, I just want you to hear what God says about this. It's, it's really kind of beautiful. It's, this is one of the other kind of obscure places where God says, my covenant with you is a covenant of shalom. Isaiah 54, 10. Did you find it yet, partner? I'll keep, I'll keep vamping until you get there. Rhonda, you got it? Read it. So the mountains 
wow. That's a, that's a great memory verse. A little long. Isaiah 54. But the idea is, my covenant of peace will shelter you, will take care of you. And it's all predicated on God's compassion and love. This idea of shalom here is not just, and here's what to fill in your blanks, God's shalom, his peace, is more than just the absence of hostility. Sometimes we think about it in political terms and think, well, as long as this group is not fighting with this group, then they're in a period of peace. That's not the concept of God's shalom. Not just an absence of hostility. What it means here is this idea of wholeness, well-being, health, Really lasting, beautiful peace that settles down on me. And it's only used rarely, the idea of a covenant of peace, and it's used right here. God says to Phineas, you did the right thing. Your family is going to experience this covenant of peace. The people of God will. So, in verse 13, I just asked the question, what is it that Phineas is zealous about? He is zealous, look at 13 one more time. He was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. He, he had this jealous and zealous approach to the holiness and the reputation of God. And so God offers him as his covenant a lasting priesthood. He defended God's honor and this atoned for the sins of the people. Big deal. Commended. Even though he had to do a really hard thing. Now, we're going to fast forward about 340 years, and I want you to turn now to the book of 1 Samuel. 340 years have passed, the period of they have settled the uh, land. You can read about that in the book of Joshua. They have uh, been in the land for a couple hundred years. You can read about that period of time in the book of Judges, which is kind of a desperate, awful time in some ways. And a person comes on the scene whose name is Samuel. Now, Samuel is a watershed figure in the Old Testament. After Samuel, the, the, the nation is holy and united. Before Samuel, the, the nation is fractured and really in lots of trouble spiritually. What a wonderful person to have entered the picture. But right before Samuel, in fact, you could argue he was Samuel's mentor, there was a priest in the land by the name of Eli. Eli, we're going to read about here. Eli was, um, had two sons, and their one of his name was Hophni. The other one's name was, guess what, Phineas. And even though he was well-named, he didn't live up to his namesake. Okay? Didn't live up to his namesake. Cindy, can I get you to read our scripture lesson from 30 down to 36 from 1 Samuel 2? Anybody reading that or hearing Cindy read it want to respond with, yeah, I want that to happen to me. No, it doesn't sound like it does. Now, let me give you a little bit more background here. Okay. Um, another priest, Eli, has two sons that we identified as Hophni and Phinehas. Here is God's judgment of them. Same chapter, verse 12. Louise, would you just read verse 12? 1 Samuel 2. It's 
very short and very to the point. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. <laughs> you want that on your tombstone? The New American Standard said they were worthless men. Wow. That's God's word. Well, God's word says about them. All right? So our second Phineas guy was, uh, uh, in, in one translation it says, he was lightly esteemed. Um, I think that's kind of kind, honestly. It's a kind little uh, little. Uh, uh, translation of that. Uh, look at verse 30 again. The Lord of God declares, God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. If you're reading from the New, from the, uh, New International, it says they will be disdained. That's what to put in your blank right there. Disdained. What does that mean? Disregarded. Taken as being kind of worthless, as he says in verse 12. Okay, so the idea here, it's clear that God disdains this different, this second Phineas here. Why? Well, he did some pretty interesting things. Look at verse 27, same chapter, okay? Verse 27, same chapter. Man of God comes to Hophni and Phinehas' dad, Eli, and says to him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt and bondage to Pharaoh's house? Okay, he's, he's telling him uh, there's this kind of uh, man of God who comes and calls these men out and calls out their father, uh, Eli, who evidently had no discipline of, uh, uh, in his relationship with his sons. And um, so here's their sin. I'm going to go to verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. Interesting. A priest who didn't know the Lord. I am reading a book on Martin Luther. He lived in a day when most of the preachers didn't know God. Aren't you grateful for the place in which we worship and serve? Okay, goes on. The custom of the priest with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or into the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take home for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Uh, there was more of it. it literally saying before they began to burn the sacrifice, they'd say, give me a piece of that. Well, no, it's supposed to, we're supposed to burn this with this. No, I want raw meat. They, they had bought, you know, uh, one of those pellet grills like Jim's got, and they wanted to use it, I guess, you know. Yeah, they want to smoke something. They just, they steal from God. Now, God is really harsh beginning in 31. You read about their sin. There was a, some sexual parts of this that were even worse. You read about that in verse 22. But basically, they dishonored God. If the first Phineas from 350 years before honored God, these dishonored God. My question is, 
Does leadership matter? I'm going to lead one way or another, right? You bet it matters. Would somebody run over to James 3.1? Why is God so harsh in his judgment of the second Phineas here? James 3 verse 1. Somebody read that when you get there. We who teach, we who lead, will be judged more strictly. I always like to skip that verse when I'm reading in the book of James. Uh, what? It's the pressure a leader lives with, especially a spiritual leader here. It's an awesome responsibility. And God says to Phineas and those coming after him, to Eli and those coming after him, guys, I'm done. Wow. Now, look at verse 32. God pronounces a judgment against Eli's sons and also, Rhonda and I were talking about this this morning, and against the place of worship where they led. The place where the ark of God was in those days was a place by the name of Shiloh. Probably heard of it. Neil Diamond sang about it. I used to call your name. Yeah, that, that thing, okay. I'm not sure that has anything to do with this, all right? He was Jewish, so he may have known this story. I don't know about that, but okay. Shiloh kind of conjures up really good thoughts, but right here, Shiloh loses its blessing. The, the ark of God is residing there. It stays there right in this period of time, and God says to Phineas and to Hophni and to their dad, Eli, you know what? You, my uh, blessing of you is going away and the blessing of Shiloh is going away. I put a couple of references in here. There are two or three, but over by the time we get to Jeremiah 7, there is no Shiloh. It's gone. And a lot of it had to do with what's going on, the shenanigans going on right here. Isn't that interesting? I'm glad Paola still exists. In Paul's Valley, you know. When I go back there where I grew up, it's still there. Okay, that's good. Shiloh doesn't. It's a judgment against the place of worship, really. By Jeremiah's day, Shiloh was gone. Now, verse 13, I want to read three verses together here. I know Cindy's already read them, but I want to read them again. Just kind of let them wash over you a little bit. I'm going to go to verse 31. Listen to the common theme in 31, 32, and 33. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling. That's where it's talking about Shiloh. In spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Verse 33. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail. I'm sorry, let me go back. I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. Basically, God is saying to Eli, you're the last guy in your family who will see old age. He says it three verses in a row. A pretty sure promise, if you ask me. Eli dies an old man. If you look at 4.18, I'll describe the story in a minute, but if you look at 4.18, Eli dies 
Uh, it's interesting. I'm afraid this will be on my tombstone these days. He died old and heavy. You know, you know, it says that, it says that right there. You don't want that to be on your tombstone. He died old and heavy. That's kind of Eli's tombstone. He's the last old man in his family. I think that's awful and terrible. And it has to do with what Phineas II was doing. Verse 34, the glory of Israel was lost. Now, I'm going to do a little play on words here because the Bible doesn't. All right? And let me tell you the story of what happened surrounding this. And I put the reference there if you want to follow along with me in chapter 4, verse 3. Basically, um, the nation is at war with the Philistines. And you remember they're being led spiritually by people who aren't spiritually astute. And so Phineas and Hophni, his brother, decided to take the Ark of God into battle to use as a rabbit's foot. Okay? One of my dad's common expressions was, he lost his rabbit's foot. Okay? That meant you have gone on unlucky times. Well, they were using the Ark of God as an amulet or as a good luck charm, and Hophni and Phinehas, who were in charge of it, took it with them into battle. How stupid. Guess what? Not only did they lose the battle, but they lost the ark. The ark went over to Philistine control for a while after that. And if you read chapter 4, you hear how, what of a dark day that is, because in that same day, Hophni and his brother Phinehas died in battle. Um, as the story is told back in the camp, Eli says, Tell me what, how the battle's going. And the first thing they say to him is, your two sons are dead. That doesn't upset him. I find that really interesting. He says, what about the ark? And they tell him the ark is gone. And that's when he falls off the chair he's sitting on because he was old and fat. Broke his neck and died. On the same day, Prompted by all this trauma, Phineas's wife is great with child, and she is she goes into labor, has a little boy, as she hears all this news, all of it bad, including this kid's going to be raised without a father, and she names the little boy. The glory has departed. You know the name from early American writing, Ichabod. The Kabad of Israel is gone. The glory has departed. That's from this story of Phineas. Now, if you read, keep reading, it's interesting. In verse 35, God says, I'm going to renew uh, my blessing to the priesthood, but it won't come till David's day. It's going to come with a guy by the name of Zadok and his descendants. This was David's priest. He's going to begin a dynasty of blessed covenantal priests. They will continue on through the return from exile uh, Zadok and his sons. Zadok and his descendants all serve in faithfulness, but not the sons of Phineas. Verse 36, it's interesting. It's a prediction. 
that those who had greed, those who were gluttonous, remember when the guys were putting their fork in the pot, will be begging for food, he says. Just really kind of sad and awful. And an ironic judgment here, uh, hearkening back to verse 12 through 17. Now, it seems here that in God's covenantal statements, that God is going to make sure to let you and I know that he rewards the faithful. And we also, though, get a picture of his great mercy. Most important thing maybe that you could have read about this week happened on October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago this week. A monk by the name of Martin Luther was studying to be a lawyer when he had a scary encounter with a thunderbolt in a storm. The experience led him to become a monk instead because he was already pretty well educated and really bright. The monastery where he checked in decided to further his training and have him become a priest. Five years later, he was awarded a doctoral degree and a position at the faculty at the University of Wittenberg. That's where he stayed most of the rest of his life. While he was teaching, he served as parish priest for the St. Mary's Church in that town of Wittenberg. But it was during his studies there, and I want to, want to be really clear about his studies. What he studied is he began to read the Bible for himself. That seems kind of funny for you and I to say that because we've been looking, we've all got a Bible in front of us this morning, but that wasn't the case in those days. And he began to read the Bible for himself. Contrary to prevailing church interpretation, Luther concluded that the Apostle Paul taught salvation by God's grace, not by works, not by the purchase of indulgences, which was part of what was going on in the day. And although he was on trial for the rest of his life, he places 95 questions, 95 comments, just meant to start debate on the chapel door at the Wittenberg Castle. And it lit a firecracker that you and I are still part of, the Great Reformation. Are you glad that a little monk, a preacher 500 years ago, got it right and was faithful. I mean, he did some interesting things, but he was faithful and he got faith and he read the Bible and taught it the way it was supposed to be taught. Aren't you glad that happens here? We're fortunate. Here's my question. What would be on your tombstone? What's the covenant of shalom that you have entered into with God yourself? We've all been given that privilege. We dare not squander it.